uh, on your way out today at the SIM uh, table at the back, uh, there is uh, a card. Uh, it's actually a, my website, which was designed for me quite recently. And this has got tons of good study material. So if you really want to uh, keep moving and keep studying and keep growing over and above all what you receive at the church, uh, there is some other additional uh, stuff available. So feel free to take one of these cards. And uh, believe it or not, uh, in the month of September, I celebrated my 60th birthday. I know many of you are looking in shock at me. Uh, because I, I, I feel 40, I look 40, but my birth certificate says I'm 60. Uh, so my web designer got together 60 of my sermons, the top sermons according to his evaluation, and he put it in the form of a disc like this. So this is also available at the table at the back if you want to uh, receive more teaching on a wide variety of subjects. Uh, you can uh, check, it, check out with Rick. Uh, Rick, where are you? Not Baker, Rick Bradford. <laughs> Pastor Rick is here. Uh, but he'll be at the table at the back and you can grab one of these. If you go to Pastor Rick Baker, he will give all these free, so that's also an option. <laughs> now, in your bulletins, uh, you have your outline and you need to pull this out if you are very serious about your lunch, because if you don't fill this out, you don't go anywhere. You come back right in for another service. Uh, so, okay, so to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And from the dawn of human history to the present day, there has been a clash between two kingdoms. And uh, that's what we call spiritual warfare. And one is the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of hate, the kingdom of demons, the kingdom of God-haters and Christ-haters and Bible-haters. But in striking contrast is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of holy angels, and of course the kingdom of the church, uh, the blood-bought people of God. And whether you realize it or not, these two kingdoms are very powerfully at work every day in your life and in the lives of the people around us. So at this missions conference, we are exploring the theme, shine your light. As we are surrounded and permeated by the kingdom of darkness, it is incumbent that we, the people of God, shine our light. So we are going to work through this uh, theme. And point number one in your notes, the reality of the darkness. The reality of the darkness. And if you read Romans chapter one, when you go home, uh, you will uh, discover six truths about the kingdom of darkness. And the first thing that we can say about the kingdom of darkness is that there is ignorance. Ignorance of God and ignorance of Christ and ignorance of the gospel. As never before, we are living in times of great biblical illiteracy. 
and sadly that illiteracy is even seen in many a church today. Now you're wonderfully privileged that you have a great church with great Bible teaching and discipleship courses and classes, abundance of material, wonderful library, resource material. So you're a unique exception. But that's not true of many other places where people are even ignorant of the basics of the faith. So the kingdom of darkness is a kingdom where the devil wants to keep people uh, in ignorance about eternal realities. But the second word that you will pick up in, the, in Romans chapter 1 is that this is a kingdom of independence, independence of God. By the way, that's the definition of sin. If you take the word sin and you look at the middle letter I, you have the definition of sin. Sin means to live a life independent of God. Sin means to marginalize God. Sin means to basically look at God and say, please don't interfere with my life. Keep off. And again, that's a trademark of the kingdom of darkness where people are shutting God out and uh, saying that he doesn't exist or if he does exist, uh, that he has no right to rule over their life, that they call all the shots, that you're the captain of your ship, you're the master of your fate, independence of God. And the third defining word of the kingdom of darkness is indifference to God, indifference to God. Indifference is where a person says, I don't care. Even if God exists, I don't care. Who cares? And that's a very dangerous attitude with which to go through life. Indifference to God. But then the fourth word that defines the kingdom of darkness, infuriation, meaning people get angry at God. In fact, in Romans 1, you have the expression, haters of God, if you can believe it. It's true. Where you find people shaking their tiny little fist, their puny little fist in the face of God. And uh, these are the rebels. These are the people who don't want to have anything to do with the God of the Bible, the God of love. And so they are angry and they are mad and they are God-haters. But then the fifth reality of the kingdom of darkness is idolatry. And Romans 1 makes it very clear that when people leave out the true and the living God, a cheap substitute has got to take its place. Everyone has got a God, G-O-D, with a simple G, right? When you shut the true and the living God out, someone or something else has got to take that place. And uh, it's uh, tragic today that people would worship creation. Instead of worshiping the creator, people are worshiping creation. There are people who are worshiping their body. There are people who are worshiping sports. There are people who are worshiping their job and money and uh, academics and achievement. So, who is your God? You know, it's very easy to identify that. 
uh, when people come to me for counseling, I always uh, ask them, uh, if you will uh, let me check your day timer and your checkbook, I can very easily tell you who your God is or what your God is. The amount of time and the amount of money that you spend on a person or a thing is your God. So idolatry is again a mark of the kingdom of darkness. And then the sixth word that defines the kingdom of darkness, all taken from Romans chapter 1, is immorality. Immorality. When you live as if though God doesn't exist, then anything goes. And you can engage in all kinds of activities and, uh, and think nothing about it. And so uh, Romans teaches us that people abuse their bodies, they degrade their bodies, they demean their bodies, and they give over to wild passions. They give over to wild living, and anything goes. I was uh, counseling a man, uh, married to a wife for 25 years, beautiful family, and then uh, the wife discovered that uh, he's into immorality. Started at age 18, and he continued with that deception all through his life. And yet every Sunday he would show up at church, sing all the songs, give his offering, bring his Bible, read the Bible, and seem to be a model guy. But for all those many years, he was actually living in the kingdom of darkness. So the reality of the darkness. Now that brings us to point number two, the reasons for the darkness. So why do we have this moral and intellectual and spiritual darkness? And again, we are going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, a passage uh, I wish we had the time to read. But again, I'm going to trust your integrity that you're going to read through these passages at your leisure. And let me walk you through some words that give us the reasons why there is darkness. Number one, or the first bullet, because we have a dead spirit. The Bible says we were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. We have a dead spirit, meaning that we are insensitive to God and insensitive to sin. We don't want to use the word sin. By the way, today, sin is a politically offensive word. In fact, in classical Orthodox Hinduism, it is a sin to call a person a sinner. In fact, Hinduism teaches us that we are gods, gods with a simple G. That's why it's so popular. The New Age movement and yoga, they are so popular because it teaches you that you are God. So why use the word sin? So the Bible explicitly teaches us that we have a dead spirit and we are incapable on our own to respond to God because of that inner deadness. But then, not only a dead spirit, but also a disobedient will. I always pray, Lord, activate my will to do your will. That's a great prayer to pray, one-liner. Activate my will to do your will. 
But when a person lives in the kingdom of darkness, he uses his will to do everything that is against God and against God's word and against God's truth. A disobedient will, a life of disobedience. In fact, in the Bible, uh, the, the, the people in the kingdom of darkness are called the children of disobedience. But then the third reason as to why uh, we have the darkness is because we have a darkened mind. We have a darkened mind. Meaning that our mind, unaided by the Holy Spirit, is incapable of understanding and comprehending spiritual truth. Our mind is a, is a brilliant gift that God has given us. And just uh, think of all the things that man has achieved through the use of his mind. But when it comes to the spiritual and the eternal, man, using his natural mind, cannot comprehend spiritual truth. It is darkened. It is blinded by the powers of darkness. Never ceases to amaze me in the 40 years I've been involved in ministry. You try to explain the gospel as simply as you know how to people and you draw a blank. They just don't get it and the lights don't come on. And that's the way I live for 20 years of my life. Going to church, hearing sermons, and yet not being able to comprehend and understand spiritual truth. And that leads, another reason for the darkness, a defiled body. Our body, on account of our sin nature, is defiled, it's contaminated, it's stained. And you know the big word of today is the word addiction. People hopelessly addicted, enslaved to all kinds of sins. Name the addiction and people have got it. Addicted to alcohol, addicted to gambling, addicted to illicit sex, addicted to sports, right? So, a defiled body. Here is another reason as to why there is darkness. Because we are distant from God. We are distant from God. We are alienated from God. We are cut off from God. You know, it's very interesting. Christianity is the only faith that talks about a God who is personal, intensely personal, a God who loves humanity so much that he calls people by name. Isn't that beautiful? And this morning, the Lord is calling you by name. Maybe you're still outside the kingdom of light. And maybe this is the morning that you're going to hear his voice and you're going to respond and you're going to come home to him and you're going to say, Lord, I want to belong to you. I don't want to live an independent life. And uh, it's very intriguing that it's only in Christianity that you can call God Father, Abba Father. In Islam, it is anathema to call Allah Father. You can get killed for saying it. In Hinduism, Brahma is the impersonal force. And so people are distant 
from the true and the living God, the personal God, the God who calls people by name, and as a result, they are living in moral and spiritual darkness. But here is another powerful reason as to why there is a kingdom of darkness, because of demonic influence, because of demonic influence. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says that in the last days, the time period that we are living in right now, the past 2,000 years of uh, church history is the last days, uh, the Bible warns us that there is going to be widespread error, the doctrines of demons. So there is a demonic kingdom, and the devil would want people to believe that he doesn't exist. Or that even if he does exist, that he is a, a, a very kind of, kind of a kind devil. But we know better from the scriptures. In fact, the devil's kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. By the way, everything about the devil, there's nothing original about the devil. He loves to duplicate and imitate what God has. God has a throne and the devil has a throne. God has a church and the devil has a church. God has a Bible and the devil has his Bible. God has his ministers and the devil has his ministers. And God has a kingdom and the devil has a kingdom. And he's the prince of darkness. He's the boss. He's the captain. He's the prince of darkness. And the devil has from time to time what the Bible calls the hour of darkness meaning uh, a time period when uh, he is doing his utmost uh, to, to, to kill God, as it were. And uh, the cross is an example of the hour of darkness, when the devil was able to do all what he was given permission by God to do. And we know that the Great Tribulation period, seven-year Great Tribulation period, is going to be another hour of darkness for the devil when he is going to reign supreme through his masterpiece, the Superman, the Antichrist. But if you take the demonic world, uh, you can very broadly divide them into three categories. The first category, it's in your notes, unclean spirits. So unclean spirits, true to their name, what do they do? They promote moral filth. And you know, North America is a classic example of an invasion of unclean spirits through the movies and through the media and through the internet. There is dished out to the rest of the world moral filth. The West could be described as morally decadent and spiritually bankrupt. That is why the West is falling prey to Eastern religions. Uh, a very uh, smart uh, secular journalist put it this way, the greatest threat to the West politically is Islam, and the greatest threat spiritually for the West is Eastern religions. And look at the way Eastern religions are impacting our society, the New Age movement, yoga. You know what yoga is? The Hindu word for salvation. Yoga is the Hindu word for salvation. Yoga means oneness with Brahman, union with Brahman, to be yoked to Brahman. And so, even in churches, tragically, 
yoga is now being introduced. And that's a classic example of the operation of the powers of darkness in this part of the world, because there is a huge spiritual vacuum, and we are buying into everything. So, unclean spirits, the second broad category are wicked spirits. So what are wicked spirits? They promote violence, lawlessness, civil unrest, domestic abuse, physical abuse. So wherever you see violence and lawlessness, you can be 100% sure that there is wicked spirits operational there. The third category of uh, demons, broadly put, are deceiving spirits. So what do deceiving spirits do? They promote lies and error. As never before, we are living in times when there is widespread falsehood and deception. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. Whenever I teach a spiritual warfare course, I give the students an exercise. List the top ten lies of the devil. So I want to give that as a challenge to you today at this missions conference. And by Tuesday night, if you come up with a list of the top ten lies of the devil, the missions committee will buy you a gift from the dollar shop. <laughs> it's nice to hear you laughing. I know you're awake, right? You know, from my perspective, the number one lie of the devil for today, there never goes a week where I don't hear this statement. All religions are the same. All religions are the same. Now, if you want to know the answer to that question, come back on Monday evening and Tuesday evening, and I'm going to walk you through the seven worldview questions by which you, debunk, you can debunk that lie. I honestly pray that God will bring me in contact with people who will make that statement. All religions are the same. I sit them down and I walk them through the worldview exercise. Okay, I know there's no ball game on Monday night, so... Okay, ball game? No ball game. Yeah, one of the young guys nodded his head, so thank you. So. You know another lie of the devil that's very popular today? If it feels good, oh, you are better than the first service, a little bit more lively. Yes, with lunch approaching, I know you want to get this over with, so give the answers quick, right? <laughs> you know, Pastor Rick would tell you that uh, if you go to countries like India and Africa, the introduction to the sermon is one hour, introduction. And the sermon has got to be two hours, otherwise you're a write-off. You won't get invited back again, right? How far we are from that in North America. So, deceiving spirits. In John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ said, men loved darkness and they reject the light. And men don't come to the light for fear that their evil will be exposed and that they have to do something about that exposure. So that's why men love darkness. So we've looked at all these reasons for the darkness so prevalent 
in our culture and society today. Now comes the good news. Now comes the reason for the missions conference. Remedy, remedy for the darkness. What's the solution? And I'm going to present to you a five-fold answer, and you're going to figure very prominently in this answer. So what's the remedy for the darkness? Number one is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, as the Old Testament canon closes, the book of Malachi, chapter 4 and verse 2, prophetically, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Son of Righteousness. Son with S-U-N. And the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. What a beautiful picture of the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is going to come to extend healing, spiritual healing, physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing. And we are called to present the Lord Jesus Christ as the son of righteousness. But then the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth, made a stupendous claim concerning himself in John 8:12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he is the light of the world. No other religious leader ever claimed to be the light of the world. Leave alone being a light for a particular lo localized area. So the Son of God, and then our Heavenly Father, the Father God. Because in James 1.17, our God, our Father, is called the Father of Lights. Our God dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible says. We cannot look, even for a moment, at our God, we'll be blinded. It's like looking at the noonday sun with our, uh, with our naked eye. So our Heavenly Father is the father of lights. But then the Bible is our light. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So beloved, every time you and I read the Bible, we are being exposed to the light. Every time you give out a Bible to someone, you are making the light shine. Every time you read out a Bible portion to someone, you're exposing that person to the light. The Bible, the Word of God is light. And that's why you must always take it with you wherever you go. And at any given opportunity, just open up the book and read and give a brief explanation and pray. And in so doing, you're causing the light to shine. And then, number four is the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Revelation and Illumination. Only the Holy Spirit can make things come alive. Only the Holy Spirit can help you understand. He turns the light bulb on. In a darkened room, as you flip the switch, the lights come on and you can see. 
with crystal clear clarity. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Unaided by the Holy Spirit, we are in the dark. We can't understand. But when the Holy Spirit opens our inner eyes, we are able to see, we are able to comprehend. Every day I pray for that gift. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of grace, you're the spirit of truth, the spirit of love, the spirit of life, the spirit of holiness. You're the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, and might descend upon me, descend upon me this day. Open my eyes so that I may see wondrous truths out of your word. May I see the eternal world, and may I be able to march to heaven's drumbeat. Beloved, you need to take the scriptures and personalize them as prayers for your life. And that's when your spiritual life will grow and God can then take and use you in unbelievable ways. The Spirit of God. And then it says, the remedy for the darkness, the people of God. That's you and me. So let me read for you from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. What the Lord Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And in Philippians 2, Paul told the Philippian church, God has called you to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked, perverse, depraved, twisted world. Hold forth the word of life and shine as a light. That's our calling. That's your calling and my calling. And so I met this uh, Islamic cleric, I mean imam. Uh, that's as high as you can get. I mean like a senior pastor of a church. And this guy uh, kind of traveled uh, to different countries propagating Islam. And then something went terribly wrong in his life and he was incarcerated. And that's where I first met him in the prison. And all the other guys uh, looked and said, oh, there's an imam there, there's an imam there. And this man was humiliated and degraded. And, and uh, so I walked up to him and I said, look, uh, I like to be your friend. And what do you really need? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I love to read newspapers in my mother languages. So I said, what are your mother languages? And he rattled off about five of them. So I went to different stores and I picked up these newspapers and I went back to the prison and I put it into his hands and his eyes became as big as saucers and he hugged me and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he sat down with me and then we began to talk. We began to talk. And then he said, will you pray for me? When he discovered that I was a pastor, he said, will you pray for me? And I said, yes, but it will be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's fine with me. And as I prayed, you know what? He began to keep saying, amen, amen, amen. I rarely hear amen from the people of God. Only when they want the preacher to stop, they'll say amen. <laughs> but... Uh, and at the end of the prayer, by the way, that won't work with me because that's an incentive to keep going. So, <laughs> And at the end of the prayer, he was all tears. And I was able to put the book by John Piper, 50 Reasons Why Christ Had to Die. And more recently, I put another book into his hands, The Miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just taking him from one step to the other step, 
in a path that I hope will eventually bring him to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ through a simple good works act, picking up some papers. Yes, I had to go out of my way. It cost me a little in terms of time and money, but being able to put it into his hands and opened a world of friendship. So how do you cause your light to shine? By engaging in good activities and then speaking the word of truth, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to point number four, the responsibility of the church. And at a missions conference, we are reminded afresh anew the responsibility of the church, and it's a twin responsibility. And the first responsibility is to discern the darkness. As you listen to people talk, you're able to pick up clues. You're able to pick up clues. Your spiritual antenna should be up, and you should be able to read between lines, statements people make, and that gives you a clue as to the intensity of the darkness that people are in. Discern the darkness. But your second responsibility is to dispel the darkness. To dispel the darkness. And how do we dispel the darkness? We dispel the darkness by intercession, by prayer. You know, praying a very simple prayer like, Oh Lord, shine into the heart of so-and-so. That's a very beautiful prayer that you can pray for someone who's outside the kingdom of light. In fact, I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let your light, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our God wants to shine his light into the darkened hearts and minds of people. But we need to engage in prayer for them. But not only intercession, we have to introduce and inject the gospel into their thinking. It is said that the average person has to hear the gospel seven times minimum before he or she can respond intelligently to the gospel. So, don't be satisfied with just one effort. It might require a second and a third and a fourth or a fifth or a twentieth presentation before they can come home to Christ. So take every opportunity to introduce and to inject the gospel. And beloved, as a church, we need to intensify our efforts. We cannot afford to take it easy. We cannot afford to relax. We cannot afford to loosen our grip. The darkness around us is deepening by the day. Can I repeat that? The darkness around us is deepening by the day. As all these false religions are encroaching, are encroaching. And uh, I had this young girl from India she just came to Canada and started going to a certain university. And one day she came home crying. So I asked her, why are you crying? What upset you? And she said, I went to the university and the Muslim Students Association has put tables all over the university with Muslim literature all over the place. 
and they are running after every student with Muslim literature with one statement on their lips, why don't you become a Muslim? And she said there was not a single Christian to stand up and to counter this onslaught. And she said, I was so scared. I'm a child of God. I love the Lord Jesus, but I was so scared. I was so humble that I went, uh, came home crying. Beloved, that's the deepening of the darkness. That's what our young people are going to experience when they go to our colleges and when they go to our campuses. We need to intensify our efforts to penetrate the darkness. I want to close with a story from childhood. You know, in the good old days, you have a guy called the lamplighter. He's the guy who would come on a bicycle. He has a long pole, and using that long pole at dusk, he would light the oil lamps along the street so that there is light for that neighborhood. So one evening, as this lamplighter was lighting the oil lamps, a little boy was looking at him with curious eyes through a window, and all of a sudden, excitedly, this little boy shouted at his mom, Mom, there's a guy out there punching holes in the darkness. I love that imagery. It has stuck with me through these many years. That's my ministry. Punching holes in the darkness. Not punching people, not punching the life out of people. Will you take that home tonight, today? That you are called to punch holes in the darkness? And what's the greatest motivation that we have for doing so? And that's your final point. Because we are looking forward to a resplendent city. Resplendent city. Resplendent simply means splendid, beautiful, shining. That's our heavenly home. It's a city of light. The Bible says there'll be no night there. No night there. No darkness. God is going to light up that city with his presence. And so we are looking forward to that city of light, the resplendent city. And that should drive us and motivate us today to be lamplighters to dispel the darkness. I'm going to close with a prayer which actually comes uh, as a, a song that we sang in our childhood. So as you and I bow our heads in prayer, I would like to close with this prayer. Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, so let us shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. Jesus bids us shine, first of all for him. Well, he sees and knows it if our light grows dim. He looks down from heaven to see us shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. Jesus bids us shine then for all around. Many kinds of darkness in the world are found.
sin and want and sorrow, so we must shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. Amen.